Hi, Sound Africans. As you may know, we've been working with Open Secrets on a new series called They Killed Dulcie. It's about the life and assassination of activist Dulcie September. It's been epic putting it all together. We're excited and looking forward to launching in the last week of March. In the meantime, though, we've been listening to some great African podcasts which we'd like to share with you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to play an episode from each of our friends and as usual, if you like it, share it with the people you like. The following episode is made by our friends Honeymoon Studios who make podcasts about interesting local stories. This episode is called Giants of Lesotho, a true story of wise men, warriors, and an ideology that created the country of Lesotho. The episode is narrated by award-winning journalist and author Max Dupree. Enjoy! Hi there, chaps. It's your host, Mark Penguin. I'm riding a horse. Location, the Sutu Highlands, the year 1760. We're on our way to meet celebrated author, journalist and political commentator, Max Dupree. There he is. Whoa, Byron. Let me be your eyes. He's staring, thinking, smoking a pipe. Max Dupree, what have you got for us? Your history... I'm national ignorance. Teach me. This guy that I'm going to tell you about is one of the most spectacular people in the history of Southern Africa. And I was so surprised when I uh, discovered him, how few people knew about him. If this was any other society, Western society, uh, we would be teaching about him in, in history class. And yet he's, he's very little known. He lived in today's Eastern Free State, somewhere between the present towns of Marquardt and Tlotloane, which is now called Tlokalan. He was born around 1720, and they called him Motlomi, which means the builder. When he was doing his initiation, he was about 1415. He was sitting in his initiation hut. And he had this remarkable vision. It's more than a dream. It's an epiphany, a revelation. It became dark. The roof of this hut opened up and a giant eagle came and took him and took him above the clouds. And above the clouds, dropped him there, and there were a multitude of people. And they introduced themselves as his ancestors. And then told them that he was chosen to be a great leader. They said, your people are in trouble. There's too much violence. There's too much hunger. 
and you have been chosen by the ancestors to go back there and to teach a revolutionary new way of living, of tolerance and of love and of caring, caring especially for women and children. And, and that's what he, what he then did when he took over from his father as the chief. He practiced this. One of the first things he did, and he was quite a powerful and wealthy chief. First thing he did was he disbanded his army. Now, every clan had an army. That was standard practice all over Southern Africa at the time. And men are there to protect that clan. And he did the revolutionary thing of saying, you will be worth a lot more as fathers, as husbands, and as agriculturalists than as fighting men. And the story of, of this bizarre king sort of spread far and wide. And everybody thought, who is this weird guy? From what we gather now, partly through oral history, but partly also his story was told to many missionaries of the early 1800s who recorded this. So you, you have a fairly good picture of what happened. He spent his days in long philosophical discussions with, his, with the elders of his own clan, but also of neighboring clans. And when he was in his 30s, he started walking. And I've pieced together, if you look at all the available material, that he was in present-day KwaZulu-Natal. He was in Zimbabwe. He was in Botswana. He was in Pumalanga. He was in the Eastern Cape. He went as far as almost to the West Coast, the Kakamas area. This was one man. He must have walked tens of thousands of kilometers. He was away from home up to two years at a time. And everywhere he went, he took a wife. And those wives were allowed to marry somebody else, a young man from the village. And yet, you know, there, there was a loyalty. So it was a bond that he created. He was truly a remarkable guy in almost a pan-Africanism. Because in that time, the mid-1700s, right, clans of, of traditional African uh, farmer societies, the clan was the world. You know nothing else but your own clan and the few clans around you. You don't know the world beyond you. And here was this guy, and he went to not only the clans around him, who, who spoke more or less all the same language, Sesotho. He went to Kosa speakers and, and Guni speakers, Zulu speakers, and Shona speakers, and Tswana speakers, and all over. So he learned those cultures. And this, this to me, what, what I found very interesting, he never met a white person. He was completely untouched by thinking or ideas outside of his own region. The only thing that he had, he had a white cotton handkerchief that he used to walk around with. Always he had this white handkerchief that was brought down from Mozambique, where the Portuguese settlers were already there. And he used this as a symbol of saying, there are other things outside our world that we don't know about. And this is one. Who were these people? 
what technology did they use to make this beautiful thing that I have in my hand? You know, so his mind was kind of racing. He must have been an extraordinary intelligent man. He had his own version of the law of karma. Quite remarkable. It is unlikely that he would be the only person of his kind. There couldn't have been just one guy. He wasn't a fluke. The same thing that people said about uh, his student, Moshe the same thing that people said about Nelson Mandela, is he was an exception. There's no exception. He was a product of his society and his culture and his history. He had an extraordinary talent. He was a special kind of guy. But he was a product of his culture, as Mandela was, as Moshweshwe was. There were many other very wise and very clever and insightful chiefs and leaders in the pre-colonial and early colonial period in South Africa. That was the time when other philosophers, the most famous Western philosophers, also uh, were active, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Voltaire and Montesquieu and Emmanuel Kant. They lived in exactly that era, so I found that absolutely fascinating that it happened here at the same time it happened elsewhere in the world, a new enlightenment, a new philosophy, because he couldn't read and write. So we don't have his writings, his ideas on paper. And I've pieced together a lot of what he was thinking, and it's remarkably sophisticated. And I think if we, if we could speak to him, if we could read what he really thought, we would say he was on a par or even superior to some of those great philosophers. So this is what then happened. When he grew a bit older, in his 60s and 70s, he stopped traveling so much. And he went to, his headquarters was at a place called Ngodilwe, which I figured out must have been somewhere between Marquardt and Rosendahl in the Free State. I've been trying to find out where he lived. Because this is one of the most important African leaders we've ever, have ever lived. And, and I'm trying to get more and more information. He opened a leadership academy there as the most famous philosopher, sage, prophet of the entire sub-region. Clans would send their young men to him to be trained as chiefs. And his main thing, almost, you could almost see it written above his entrance to his kraal, was his main motto, a chief is a chief by the grace of his people.
You have been listening to a podcast by Honeymoon Studios. This episode was produced by Marcus Wormstorm, Max Dupree, and Alexis Christoudolo, with voice by Mark Penwell. If you like this episode, go check out the rest of the series over at honeymoonstudios.co.za. To help Honeymoon Studios, Sound Africa, or any other of your favorite African podcasts, give a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. And of course, if you liked what you heard, share it with the people you like. If you know of a great African podcast we should share with our listeners, get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website. My name is Neo Rakajani. Thanks for listening.